We find ourselves in week two of our Room at the End sermon series. What are the ways that we are part of this holy story? From all those years ago, from that land far, far away. When have we been, or maybe known, Mary and Joseph in our midst, frantically searching for sanctuary? And I wonder this week, when have we been the innkeeper? Ignorant of the heroes in our midst, maybe mistaking folks as heroes because it's what the world teaches us. And how are we called to recognize the ways that Christ is born among us? And how are we called to give a hero's welcome? Today's reading is from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. He went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is it written in the book of the words of the prophet of Isaiah. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be glorified in your sight, for you, O God, are our rock. You, O God, are our redeemer. Amen. So our scripture this week comes from the lectionary, that three-year rotation that tries to expose us to many different parts of scripture. And it comes from Luke. And before we start maybe teasing our hair or flat ironing it, wearing bell bottoms and macrame, kicking our shoes off and dancing in a fountain, breaking into that beloved 70s Godspell version of this scripture, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. No one? No one else? Okay. There's actually, I forgot that until there was a thing that went around among the staff when I sent out my scripture selection for this week. That was that. Was that. Um, but before we dive into that, let's pause for a moment. See, most preachers this Sunday will focus on that part of scripture. Prepare the way of the Lord. And they'll talk about what preparing means. Actually, it's funny, my husband Dan is also preaching this Sunday, and that is exactly what his sermon is about. Not, no, no, uh, no shame on Dan, but. <laughs> they'll talk about what are the ways that we are called to make straight, what are the ways that we're called to rise up the valleys or make level, bring down the mountains. But this passage in its entirety speaks to what it means to prepare. 
So before we jump ahead, missing the wisdom contained in this text, let us open our minds and our hearts to hear all of these words, wondering what they have to teach us, making room at the end. And maybe who the heroes are that we want to welcome. Our passage just read begins with a list of names, sometimes a dreaded occurrence for a scripture reader. So Eli, well done, sir. Uh, they can seem impossible, first off. I mean, how do you pronounce those ancient names anyways? I don't know if having a Latin instructor for a father was a helpful in that process, but I imagine so. But regardless of how they're pronounced, these names set a little context. See, the names that are listed at the beginning of this passage are the names of rulers, political rulers, economic elite, and the religious order. They're the leaders of Jesus' time, and it's after this listing of these VIPs, these red carpet worthy, upper echelon, creme de la creme, that then Luke sets juxtaposed John the Baptist, the camel hair wearing, a locust eating, a mystic in the desert, who smells bad and often makes, uh, makes folks face the harsh reality of their lives. He was like that guy on the street corner that you often don't make eye contact with, with the big poster board sign that says, repent, the kingdom of God is near. And actually, there's a funny joke that goes with that. See, there was once a, a pastor and a priest, pastor in his stole and priest in his collar, that were standing on the side of the road, and they, they were holding a big poster board sign that said, turn around, the end is near. And some guy threw their slushy at him and yelled, you religious fanatics! And then you heard the brakes squeal and a crash. And they turned to one another and said, maybe we should have read, turn back, the road is out. <laughs> Anyways, that's like the kind of jokes that we tell in my house. <laughs> but John, John also had great wisdom. He too had power, not in the ways of the political or religious elite, but in the ways of God. He foretold Jesus' coming, maybe, maybe because as a baby in his mother Elizabeth's womb, he leapt, recognizing the Christ child within Mary. And here today, 30 years down the road, we have John telling us again of how the world should respond of roads to make straight, of valleys filled, of what was rough should be made smooth. A hero's welcome. But our hero isn't of the elite. He was a carpenter's son born in the backwaters of Bethlehem, born in the muck and the mire, the stink of a stable. He was not given a hero's welcome into the world. It was a quiet affair with just his parents and some shepherds on a night shift, some animals, and eventually three wise ones arrived from afar. When Jesus did not meet the expectations of what a hero should be, or who a hero should be, when he became simultaneously too powerful to the Romans and the religious order, 
and yet not powerful enough in the ways so many people desired of leading a violent rebellion, an insurrection against Rome. He was killed, nailed to a cross. Similarly, John the Baptist, this truth-teller, prophet, mystic, met not with celebration and honor in his lifetime, but instead was murdered, beheaded by Herod, again, not a hero's welcome. I find it interesting that this passage from Luke is what we read on this Sunday. The words of John the Baptist ringing, calling us to prepare, prepare for this Prince of Peace. And then John's soon-to-be untimely death. And interestingly enough, this week especially, it's set against another story. I have loved in this past week, whether in text messages or in social media, seeing candles being lit. Little faces of children aglow in that soft light, old wrinkled hands striking matches, telling stories that have been told for thousands of years. We, in the Christian tradition, have entered into a festival of lights where we celebrate the light of the Advent wreath. But our Jewish siblings, too, have been lighting candles this week, marking that light lasts in miraculous ways, and the story of the Maccabeans' victory. But there's more than one hero in the story of Hanukkah. Through history, and especially in the Middle Ages, the story of Judith captured the imagination. There are beautiful Renaissance renderings of Judith by Caravaggio and Allori, and even later in 1901, Gustav Kimmelt's gilded Judith brought this strong woman to life. The story of Judith is a powerful one. A woman who, when her people were in danger, when all hope seemed to be lost, when there was nowhere to go and seemingly no direction to turn into, when the vicious Holofernes, a general of King Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler of the Babylonians, who would eventually sack the Israelites, when he was camped right outside her city walls, she owned her power and might, sneaking down to where the enemy resided with wine and cheese she chose as her weapons of war. In this story, Judith tells Holofernes that she is so displeased with her people that she will give him the inside scoop on how to get into the town and destroy it. In his joy, Holofernes celebrates, eating and drinking himself into a stupor. On a fun culinary note, in Italy, latkes are actually not made of potatoes, which migrated to Europe post-Columbus. But the latkes in Italy are the original dairy ricotta latka, a nod to Judith. But anyways, then in the story, praying for God's help, Judith kills. She beheads Holofernes with his own sword and escapes back to her people. And what a hero's welcome she receives. In the book of Judith, which is found in the Apocrypha, 
sacred texts that are recognized within the Catholic Church, and it's also a book that's recognized within the Jewish faith. We read of how when the people heard Judas' voice, they ran forward, they called the elders to come, small and large, and all the people came to welcome her. They lit fires and candles to celebrate. Judas was strong and faithful, right? See, sometimes recognizing a hero is easy. It's obvious. There are labels given. There are parades and parties held, honors and medals and speeches. But sometimes it's hard. Back then and in our world now, what makes a hero? And I can't help but wonder what makes Judith a hero as she beheads Holofernes and Herod a villain as he commits the same act in John the Baptist's execution. It's especially hard in the moment to tell who heroes are. Hindsight is often 2020. But in the case of Herod versus Judith, we can probably agree first off that I don't think anyone here is a fan of beheading people these days. We might consider it a little barbaric. Maybe there's one or two of you out there, I don't know. But we understand that these figures are set in a time and place in which they lived. Judith was trying to save her people from violence and suffering and honestly the elimination that the Babylonians wished for them. While Herod was fulfilling a promise, like a genie, he granted a violent wish that was rooted in retaliation for John's condemnation of a salacious affair. Our heroes act with justice and with the hopes of peace. Even when it has been obvious, maybe, who the heroes are, we have gotten it wrong. We've picked those heroes, those false prophets, We've made golden calves that speak more to the powers of our world than the power of God. We make room at the inn for Emperor Tiberius. We make room at the inn for Pontius Pilate, for Herod, for his brother Philip, for Linnaeus, for Ananias and Caiaphas. We welcome the wrong heroes. We welcome the powerful and the privileged. Maybe those who are comfortable and convenient, those who agree with us. Which is tied to those other times that we don't know who the heroes are among us. We don't know the survivors in our midst. And so in our ignorance, we leave out, we isolate, we delegate to the stables and to the streets. In 1936, After winning a gold medal on the tracks in Germany, where white supremacy and anti-Semitism would soon kill thousands in the horrors of the Holocaust, Jesse Owens returns to America to receive a hero's welcome. Parade and pomp, recognizing the accomplishments of this man. The country reveling in his success. America gets gold on the track. But on the first night he's back in the United States, Owens and his family travel hotel to hotel throughout New York City. It seemed that there was no room at the inn, at least for this black man. 
And like the holy family shuffled to, off to the stables, Jesse and his wife only found lodging when they agreed to enter the establishment through the service entrance. See, the story of the Holy Family isn't just something that happened thousands of years ago. It existed, and it exists. We, people of faith, we too have gotten it wrong. At times, we have become innkeepers. So often we want to say, I wouldn't do that, not me, I know better. But we live in a world where systems keep out. And history has shown us time and again where we've gotten it wrong. We are called to prepare the way for the Lord. And part of this preparation is a radical shift, not just of ourselves and our personal hearts, though that's important too, but a shift of society. So may we pray that we may choose holy heroes, not just the powerful and the privileged but heroes found in the least and the lowly. May we work to end sinful systems of racism and sexism, classism and xenophobia that keep these holy families in our midst from finding sanctuary. Finding sanctuary in ways that give honor and dignity. And may we not just honor the Christ that came thousands of years ago, but the ways that Christ lives in hungry children, the way that Christ lives in the person struggling with addiction, with the lonely, the forgotten, the outcast, and the ostracized. And in doing this, we will truly be preparing the way for the Lord. Amen.